You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. Listen, I'm absolutely elated about my guest today, but I'm also elated about my recent experiences with being a dad and technology. All right, let me tell you a little little secret here. My son, Braden's six years old, all right? Just got his first tablet, right? Tablets are popping with the kids. And I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but like he's in kindergarten and kids in his kindergarten class already have cell phones. I'm like, who are you calling, right? Mom, I need some more goldfish crackers. You know, who are you calling? I want to be able to get in touch with Billy. I just don't think it's necessary personally, but I'm not here to judge, all right? And of course, like, you know, you'd be walking around the stores, department stores, you know, grocery stores, and seeing kids just, you know, two years old in their diapers, you know, one and a half, just glued to their tablet or to their phones, you know, as a distraction. And again, not here to judge, but I've been seeing this as a part of our culture. And we don't really know the long-term ramifications, but, you know, I just felt that six years old, okay, it's time, let's go ahead and get him this tablet. And it's a very like kid-friendly version of the tablet, okay? So it's got the kids stuff, kids books on it, kids games, all that good stuff. So I was like, okay, fine, let's go for it. And here's what happened, guys. I was walking out the door and my wife says, hey, did you buy anything from Amazon? And I'm like, uh, no, not, no, I haven't. Cut to come back from the studio later. And my son on his little kid's tablet, he done went to Amazon, bought all toys. All right, he's six. Just the level of intelligence, though, to put stuff in that shopping cart. He went shopping. He was just sitting there shopping. Oh, I like this. I like that. I'll have two of those. He got himself a golden ninja. All right, the little golden ninja Lego piece, $12 for his one little Lego. All right, but he didn't really have the concept of like, I'm spending money, you know, but just the access. He down, first he downloaded the app, you know, so just being aware and having these experiences of just how pervasive and and even kind of intuitive technology is today is really kind of fascinating at the same time. So I was like pleasantly surprised he was able to shop like that, but also a little, little mad, of course, like, bro, how did you, you know? So we talked about the concept of money. You know, of course he apologized. He didn't really know what he's doing, but we were just hanging around a random afternoon, bing bong, doorbell rings. And it's the, it's the Amazon delivery guy, all right? And, you know, first of all, in the middle of the afternoon, I remember when we were kids, the doorbell rang, everybody was excited. Like, who's is it? Who is it? Let's run to the door. Who is it? Welcome, welcome. Today, if somebody rings your doorbell in the middle of the afternoon, you're like, you know who this is? You know, nobody wants to even get up. All right, so anyways, got the packages. We're not telling him that it's his toys he ordered. We just kind of were like, we know we sent them back and that's what we're doing. So just wanted to share that story with you guys. I don't know how you are with the tablets, but be aware. With your kids, they can buy the farm. They could probably buy some stocks. I don't know, but just be aware of that. So anyways, I'm very, again, very, very excited about this episode of the show. And we would not be doing this without our incredible uh, support for the show. And my friends over at On It, their family, um, one of the things that I use every single day I had today, the MCT oil, the most emulsified MCT oil. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Thermogenic effect and has ability to positively alter your metabolism, clinically proven. MCTs are absorbed more easily and have to do less work for your body to actually break them down um, into smaller carbon bonds. And so basically, if you're eating like, you know, a piece of fish, your body has to do a lot of work to convert that into energy, whereas MCTs are smaller and they're able to permeate your cell membranes and become essentially um, instant energy in many ways. Also, they're very supportive of your gut microbiome and their ability to combat harmful bacteria, viruses, fungi, fungi and uh, parasites as well. So this is one of the things that I use literally every day from on it. They have the vanilla, which is my wife favorite. I love the cinnamon swirl. Strawberry emulsified MCT oil is amazing and like some almond milk, you should definitely try that. I just put some in my son's. He had a little bit of a uh, granola today. So I mix that in there, getting some healthy fats. So that's one thing I get from them. Also, I use the Shroom Tech Sport. The Journal of Ethnopharmacology found that cordyceps supplementation, which is the uh, main ingredient in the Shroom Tech Sports, cordyceps mushroom supplementation with or without exercise improves exercise endurance by activating the skeletal muscles, metabolic regulators, and a coordinated antioxidant response. So again, cordyceps is helping people with their 
athletic capacity, their endurance capacity with or without exercise. It's cheat code, right? It's crazy. Legal cheat code, all right? It's been used for thousands of years. And now we have it in intelligently formulated um, products from Onnit who does things the right way. You know, sourcing from the best places, organic quality, and also Shroom Tech Sports specifically, because it's just like, oh, that sounds nice, but what about this particular product? They did a 12-week clinical trial performed at Florida State University on college-age folks, and here's what they found utilizing cordyceps. Number one, using cordyceps was shown to increase bench press reps by 12%. Shown to increase combined bench press reps and back squat reps, if you're doing supersets, all right, by 7%. And also shown to increase cardio performance by 8.8%. There it is. That's a mic drop. Make sure you're utilizing Shroom Tech Sport. All right. Head over to onnit.com forward slash model. You get 10% off everything. All right. Onnit. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash model for 10% off. Now let's get to the iTunes review of the week. Another five-star review titled Fantastic by Star B Lover. So Sean, you have a new fan and it's me. I love your style and delivery, but the content is over the top in every way. Thank you for the hours of research and commitment you obviously have made to giving life to your listeners. The words we speak are life and death, and I know that what I'm learning from you is all about life and having it more abundantly. Thank you. I believe that you have changed my life, and I will pay this forward and share with many others. God bless you for having a heart to serve. Lift up and encourage. We need this. Sandy in Georgia. Mm. Wow. Thank you so much, Sandy, for leaving me that review. That means everything. You just totally made my whole day. So thank you so much for taking the time to share that. Everybody, please head over to iTunes and leave your review for this show. If you've yet to do so, if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and leave a comment below. We appreciate that so much. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is the one and only Ozzy Smith. Ozzy combined athletic ability with acrobatic skill to become one of the greatest defensive shortstops of all time. The 13-time Gold Glove Award winner redefined the position in his nearly two decades of work, beginning with the San Diego Padres and playing the majority of his career here with the St. Louis Cardinals. Known as the Wizard of Oz, he played 19 seasons, acquired 13 Gold Glove Awards as the best defensive player at his position, compiled 2,460 hits, 580 swipers, stolen bases, named to 15 all-star teams, set the major league record for his position for most assists, most double plays, most total chances accepted, most years with 500 or more assists, and most years leading the league in assists and chances accepted, and also Baseball Hall of Fame inductee. And he's here today on the Model Health Show. I'd like to welcome Ozzy Smith, how you doing today? All right, Sean, how you doing? I'm very, very grateful to have you on. Great to be here. We talked about this uh, maybe three, four months ago yeah. at uh, being able to finally get this done, and uh, here we are. Yeah, very, very. I see you at the gym all the time. Hey, man, just <laughs> you got to. I'm a baby boomer, you know, so I'm going down fighting. You know? <laughs> right. Everybody, you know, I, I don't know if you really know this because, you know, it's just who you are, but people just light up. When you're when you're around, you know, we're walking through the gym together. I just saw people just like light bulbs turn it on when you walk by. <laughs> it's nice, man. Um, it, it's nice to be able to. Um, it's a blessing, really, to yeah. be able to to walk into a room like that and have people feel that way about you, and especially in the times that we're living in and and stuff. And all I've all ever tried to do, man, was just do what's right. You know, um, uh, try and keep myself clean and try and live right. I don't always accomplish that. <laughs> I do eat junk <laughs> periodically, but I also work hard too. Yeah. So, uh, so I owe yeah. it to myself. Absolutely, man. If anybody does. So yeah. let's actually, I want to talk about your superhero origin story. Okay. Right? Because you, again, you redefined the position. You redefined baseball really. Like I remember being a kid and coming to the game just, just to see you play defense. Yeah. Nobody says that. Like it's all about the home runs, but I want to know so first of all, where did you grow up and okay. when did you first pick up a baseball? Okay, I grew up in, uh, I was born in Mobile, Alabama, um, December 26, 1954. Uh, I moved to L.A. when I was six years old, so most of my growing up was done in Southern California. Uh, I grew up in the South Central side of California, which is known as Watts. Um, I was there during the riots. can remember sleeping on the floor, National Guard sitting up across the street. And uh, wondering at that time whether or not uh, 
we would even live, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and with that being said, you know, um, when you talk about parents and, and stuff, I think my, my parents, and I grew up basically in a single-parent home. My mom uh, raised us most, uh, she was there all the time. We never knew that we didn't have, you know, which was an amazing thing. Um, we always talk about African-American women knowing how to stretch a penny. Yeah, we were poor, but we didn't know we were poor. All we knew was that, or all we were taught was that you gotta, you gotta believe that if if you work hard, you 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 put in your blood, your sweat, and your tears, then you'll get out of what you're what you're what you're working at, yeah. and you're only gonna get out of something what you put in it. If you don't put anything in it, you shouldn't expect anything in return. And that's the model with which we all lived, and we were taught. And I was fortunate enough to have people in my life that preached the same message. It was a generation of, from generation to generation, you know, the older people in, in, uh, in our lives told us the same story, the same story we heard over and over again. So um, making it in life um, was all up to you, you know, how hard you were willing to work and whether or not you were willing to put in the time and the effort. And um, in believing that, uh, I worked hard at everything that I did in my life, even to this day. You know, yeah. if if I'm going to lift weights, then I'm going to try and be the best weightlifter I could be. Yeah. And that's just the way I was taught. And I feel very fortunate that I had people that, that preached that same message. Yeah. I love that so much. I, I love the statement. I've said this many times. How you do anything is how you do everything. That's right. And it's like a culture you create in your own mind about how you approach things. Mm-hmm. And you're definitely somebody who's approached things with a sense of giving your best and an excellence. So... Baseball, where did that come around? Well, you know, uh, when I was in high school, I had to do some soul searching because basketball was really what I excelled in in high mm-hmm. school, believe it or not. Mm. And uh, when I decided to go to college, I had to do some soul searching, and I realized that baseball was really what I loved doing more than anything else. Now, I never got drafted out of high school. I played high school baseball with a guy by the name of Eddie Murray, who yeah. was one of the greatest uh, switch hitter, power hitting switch hitters in, in baseball history. He followed me into the Hall of Fame in 2003. Wow. Um, we both played baseball and basketball, and I, I tell people all the time I made him what he is. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, but we, we had a great time uh, uh, growing up. But my first beginnings as far as baseball, uh, I can remember that I can remember my uncle. We had a pecan tree in the backyard where we used to live, and he had this plastic bat that we used to throw up there and knock the pecans out of the tree. And then uh, he would take the, I would take the plastic bat and he'd throw pecans to me and let me hit the pecans. And that was really kind of the beginning of, of any type of coordinated sport mm-hmm. that I can remember. Um, and then when, uh, when I decided to go to college, as I said, you know, uh, I went on a partial academic scholarship didn't get a baseball scholarship, never got drafted out of high school, which was a little disappointing. Um, But I think that had a lot to do with my size and stuff. But, but as I talked about earlier, you know, my mom always told me that um, it's not, it's not your, your stature, it's how big your heart is, you know, how hard you're willing to work. And I was never afraid to put in the work. And I knew that if I put in the work as they had taught me, um, that eventually I would get an opportunity and that opportunity didn't really present itself until I was at a point in time in my life where I was ready to go home. I was four hours away from, from home. I went to a little small school in Central California called Cal Poly at San Luis Obispo, which is up uh, the Central Coast near Santa Barbara. Beautiful. Um, and all of the, the California state system schools are set down in mountains, so it's it's beautiful college town. And uh, I was a little homesick and stuff, and it was at that point that I called home and I told my mom, I said, you know, this may not be for me. I, I You know, I'm homesick and I'm coming home. And she said, home? You have no home. He, he, mm. She said, uh, you're not coming back here. And she called my high school coach. And uh, he called me and very sternly told me, he said, you are not going anywhere. You're going to stay right there and you're going to weather this storm. And um, And I stayed. And two days later, the shortstop on the varsity team, got hurt. And that window of opportunity opened. And I stepped in through that window of opportunity. And from that day in college, I, I never looked back. And it wasn't until 1975 where I was, I went to, uh, after our season was over, they look for places to send kids who they feel have an opportunity to, to make it or want to try and pursue a, 
a, a professional career. I went to a little small town in Iowa called Clorinda, southwest corner of Iowa near Omaha. And um, it was there that um, I, I guess the scouts finally um, finally started to take a look at at what I could do. But I was the was the only black kid on the team. Um, first time ever going to a place like this to a um, in the Midwest. Yeah all white town where you live with the people in the town and stuff. So this was a totally new experience yeah, for me. But, culture. but here again, fortunately, um, I was, w- I, I was with a group of people who didn't see my color. They saw me as, as a, as a player and as a person. And, um, that family was the Mr. And Mrs. Eberly. And, uh, She's like my mom, my second mom to this day, um, because they took me in and allowed me the the freedom to do what it was that I wanted to do. And uh, 1975, uh, 1976, I go back my second year and I get drafted by the Detroit Tigers. Mm. Now, I had finished three years of my schooling and I had promised my mom I was going to get my education. And um, they drafted me in the eighth round and they drafted me the same year they drafted Alan Trammell and Lou Whitaker. And they offered me $8,500. So I said, if they don't give me $10,000, they're not going to take a real good look at me. So <laughs> I went back and I asked them for the uh, other $1,500, and they said they didn't have it in the budget. So I rolled a dice, and I went back to school in hopes of getting drafted again my senior year, which I did by the San Diego Padres. And being the good businessman that I am, I signed for $5,000 and a bus <laughs> ticket to Walla Walla, Washington, where I started my professional career. That's, that's too funny. <laughs> that's amazing and wow. That's... And I tell, I tell kids all the time that when you look at guys who are making big money today, all of us were not bonus babies. I certainly was not one of those guys. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's you took that gamble, but it did pay pay off ultimately. But yep. in the in the small uh, perspective, yeah, you actually lost a little bit of money doing the right thing. You know. That's right. So it's, so it's not always about uh, ending up on top from a financial standpoint. You know, sometimes you got to take a step back, take two or three steps forward. I love that so much. So, okay, so you get drafted uh, with the Padres. So what? Initially coming out, um, being drafted, what did you want to accomplish just getting into the into sport? Well, getting into, first of all, getting the opportunity to play professionally was really my goal. I, I just I just wanted to know in my own mind, I believe that in my mind that I could play professionally. And it was really about getting that opportunity and being ready when that opportunity presented itself. Mm-hmm. As the people yeah, had being ready, being ready when, when, when that window of opportunity opened because that window of opportunity may be very, very small. Um, but when, when it did present itself, I, I was ready to step through it because I had worked and prepared myself for it. And um, it, it made the rest of it easy. You know, um, if you're not afraid to do the work, you're not afraid to put in the blood, the sweat and the tears and good things will happen. And so I just um, I just continued to work the way that I had worked. Now, I was blessed with hand and eye coordination. Um, and I realized that, you know, when I decided to go to college that, you know, that's where my assets were. And I wanted to to maintain that for as long as I could, you know. So I knew that the only way for me to maintain that was to continue to work hard and, and approach it the same way that I had approached it. I have had people ask me, you know, I should take ground balls every day. And I would have teammates that ask me, why do you take them every day? I said, well, you know what? Because I don't want to lose it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to lose it, and I don't want to be surprised by anything that happens on the on the field, mm-hmm. and especially at home. You know, you you can be surprised on the road or whatever, but if there's a bad spot on my field at home, then I should know about that. And that's one of the that's one of the yeah. edges that you try and you did you you work for finding edges all over the place. And if there's a bad spot on the field, then I I need to know about that mm-hmm. because he may not. And that may be the the thing that determines whether you win or lose. Mm. Wow, that's so deep. And it made me think of my surprise at home with my son with mm-hmm. the tablet. Tablet. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. Technology today, you know, Bananas, it's, it's amazing. He, he's sitting up there just living the life, ordering <laughs> toys. So one of your San Diego teammates said in an interview that, um, you know, 
you can get buried by the other team in a game. And a lot of negative things can happen while you're out there. But you would say, focus on the one positive thing that happened during the game and take that with you. Why was this your approach? Well, I, I mean, here again, every day or every year was 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 different. I, if the my numbers were a little better this year, one one point better than it was last year, I had a better year. You know, so it was always about reaching up, not knowing exactly where you're going. You just didn't want to go the other way, you know. So I, I was always trying to make this year better than the last. And um, with that with that mindset, you know, you'll always keep yourself in a position, hopefully, to, to, to win, have a chance to win. And if we didn't win, I didn't want it to be because of my lack of preparation or my lack of, of, of knowledge of what I was trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. You know what? When I heard this statement, I really thought about this in the context of life as well. You That's know? right. Just like... What's that? Because a lot of messed up things can happen, but find that little piece of positivity in that darkness, you know? That positive thing, you know, and you try and surround yourself with people with those same positive attitudes and thoughts. And, um, you know, you talked about a minute ago, I had a friend of mine who uh, was a doctor. I haven't seen him in a few years, but we talked about energy. I'll give you an example. I used to go to the ballpark early in the afternoon. 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and we all have mailboxes where fans send mail. Well, my mailbox was always a, a bigger one. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the biggest mailbox because I had a lot of mail. And so I used to go in and sit and read my mail before I went out on the field. Well, when I got to the ballpark at 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, man, I was in great mood, man, energy. Had my hamburger helper, you know, I had <laughs> eaten my hamburger helper and and toast and stuff for lunch. Um, and come game time, man, I I felt my energy drained. I felt like, God, what in the world is this? And, and I finally realized that what happens if you're not careful, because people like being around you, it drains your positive energy. You have to be very, very careful because I would get letters from people who had less. Mm. And if you're a caring person, if you get a you get a letter from a person in prison, get a letter from a, a lady whose gas and lights are being turned off. If you're if you're a caring person, it touches you in some way yeah. and, and it and it drains your energy. So I had to get to a point to where I I, I had to stop reading mail before I went out and performed because by the time I got out there some nights, you know, it was just, I had nothing. I had nothing because you're thinking about all of the other things that subconsciously, and the subconscious mind is where everything happens. Absolutely. And um, I had to figure that out myself. Wow. The hamburger helper didn't have nothing on those letters. No, man. The hamburger <laughs> helper had nothing. You know, baseball players or athletes were very superstitious, you know, yeah. so if we find that that meal that... You know, got you three or four hits tonight. You <laughs> was it the cheeseburger macaroni or was yes, it the stroganoff? It's cheeseburger macaroni. Okay, you man. know, <laughs> I know, I know. So you know, um, also, and just even shout out to snail mail. You know, back in the day, but that's such a profound insight. You know, to be able to have, and you know, I totally agree. Just, and I think that's one of the things that you know that I first noticed about you is that like people pick that pick that up that you care. Like that's you right. see people. That's right. You know, like nobody is invisible around you, you yeah. know, and that makes people feel Well, good. you know, here again, it's, it, it's, it's all about making, and especially in a town like this, you know, this is such a, it's such an avid baseball town yeah. that people feel like they know, they know you. Right. And for me, if it's going to be the only opportunity they, the, the, that they have to meet me, and I'm still amazed that to this day, and I've been here since 1982, there are people in this town that have never seen me in person, I was just at a, I just did a promotion at the ballpark uh, yesterday, and it was amazing to me of, at all the people who looked up and saw me and go, "Golly, I can't believe that you're here!" And I'm saying to myself, "I've been here almost a hundred years, <laughs> and I've seen and signed something for everybody, but it it never it, it's never ending. 
Yeah. It's never ending. So if it's going to be the only chance that they had to meet me, I want it to be a pleasant experience. Yeah. So they walk away from it feeling that, hey, you know what? He's just the way I thought he was. Yes. And, you know, there's many stories of our heroes not living up to that ideal, you know, and I think that's even, there's a lot of people listening that are heroes for other people. And I want them to really embrace that and how much it matters for you to walk the talk and show up in other people's lives because, you know, it could really make the difference for somebody. And also I want to point to in St. Louis, literally, it's like a, a holiday opening day. Oh yeah. And so like people like they'll close jobs <laughs> down, you know, it's like no, a the big city deal. closes down, man. You it's know, crazy. In a big part, like I think that you were a catalyst for that. You know, that opening day, you come out, you hit the backflip. My goodness. So oh. where did that whole idea come from? Well, when I, when I started in 19, my rookie year in 1978 with the Padres, after we finished working out, we had to run two miles, man. And I don't know about you, but I, long distances wasn't my thing. You know, I was a little sprinter and, you know, I could run the 60-yard dash, which, which we're tested in in baseball or the 40-yard dash in football. But long distances wasn't my thing. So we're running these two miles and I'm near the back of the pack. And so these old guys I'm playing with Gaylord Perry, Dave Winfield, Gene Tennis, they all gave me a hard time about being the young guy and being in the back of the pack. So to show them that I wasn't tired, I did a round off backflip and this is when I had hops, you know, I had hops, as I told you, I played basketball, yeah. you know, so I had hops and, um, I did it. And my teammate Gene had girls that were in the gymnastics and, he wanted them to see me do that at some point in time during the season, which we weren't able to do. So the final day of the season, which was Fan Appreciation Day, he and the PR guy thought it would be a good idea for me to do it going out to my position. Now, I was a little reluctant because back in the day, the entertainment was the chicken in San Diego. <laughs> it was the San Diego chicken. And I mean, uh -huh. this dude was entertaining and I sure, certainly didn't want to uh, go up against a chicken as far as entertainment <laughs> and stuff is concerned. But uh, I reluctantly did it, and people liked it so much that they asked me to do it uh, opening day the following year. And lo and behold, a, a trademark was born. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's really, really a special thing. You yeah. Know? And so, well, you know, it, um, it, it, it signified the beginning of the baseball season. Yes. You yeah. know, that was that was a sign that the season is here and we're, we're, we're on the way. And the boys of summer. The boys of summer are here. And, you know, you can turn on uh, ESPN now sometimes and, and, yeah. and see that, uh, th that highlight. And it's nice to have something like that to, uh, to, to remind people of, of what you did. But I still have to remind people that I played baseball too. You know? <laughs> right, as, as, yeah. Because like, uh, I, I didn't want to be... <laughs> become known simply for the for the flip yeah. and it was a good moniker and all of that yeah. but you know i was very proud of of my baseball acumen as well yeah. and that's exactly what i was uh, going to talk to you about now is you know that was just a part of your athleticism mm -hmm. and you redefined the position of shortstop well like, let me say this here sean I, I i think that the guys that make the hall of make the hall of fame in whatever sport it is I think that those guys change the way we look at the sport itself. Wow. That to me is what defines a Hall of Famer because they're a lot more average than they are great. Mm. And the great are the people that we consider eligible or deserve to, make, to be in the Hall of Fame. So, um, you know, when we have these these questions about guys, uh, and then this comes up a lot about whether or not a guy is a Hall of Famer, mm. I think that when, you're, when your playing career is over, it's either you are or you aren't. And there shouldn't be a whole lot of question because the guys that change the way we look at the sport have separated themselves from the rest of the bunch. And baseball has always had this question because we have these committees you're on, the, you're on the ballot, and you have to get a certain amount of, of votes each year to stay on the ballot. Well, when you fall below that number, your name comes off the ballot. So there are now special committees that are put together to see whether or not the sports writers missed it. And I, I, I know Reggie Jackson has gotten in trouble a couple times by saying, well, if a guy is a Hall of Famer, and he didn't make the Hall of Fame in 15 years, which means that he hasn't thrown another ball, he hasn't hit another ball, he hasn't ran. 
what makes a guy a Hall of Famer after 15 years of never playing again. So it makes you think about, you know, whether or not a guy is a Hall of Famer. And and in my opinion, even, and I'm not saying this because I made it on the first ballot. If I didn't make it on the first ballot, I mean, anytime you get in the Hall of Fame, you, you accept it. But if I had not made it, I, it wouldn't have diminished anything that I accomplished because the things that I accomplished, I, I worked hard at them. I know that each and every day out there I gave my best and I did my best. And if, if it wasn't meant to be, it wasn't meant to be. Yeah, yeah. That's powerful. So um, this attitude and approach of just staying ready and you doing that work and taking ground balls every day, I think it led to a level of comfortability out there and the plays that you would do, just some of the, like the behind the back, me, the grabs, it's crazy. Let me say this, Sean. I, I didn't, I just did what I did. Sometimes I couldn't tell you how I did it. And it wasn't until I had to start trying to explain to people how I did it. And I go, yeah, how did I do it? I, I was just, I kept myself in a position. I just wanted to be in a position to be able to make a play. Yeah. And, it's part of the thought process that goes into it. You know, every day out there, it's not just standing out there and being blank, but it's because it's all of the ground balls and things that I took, all of the things that I, that I stored in my, in my subconscious. And when you play a, a sport for a certain amount of time, then there's just certain things that you, that you learn, patterns, yeah. or yes. where are people going to have a tendency to hit the ball. Now, a lot has to do with pitching as well whether or not your pitcher can pitch to a scouting report. We all get scouting reports. But if you got a young guy on the mound who can't throw the ball where the ball is supposed to be thrown, then my job becomes a little bit tougher because now I've got a, my job is covering mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, i got to make the routine play, but it's really about covering the mistakes that they make. And if the ball we ask for the ball inside and you throw the ball outside and he hits it, hits the ball up the middle where, you know, I'm thinking that he's going to pull the ball, then I've got to be able to still cover. I prided myself in still being able to cover enough ground to be able to still make a play when the, when I wasn't in the right position. Yeah. You know, I'm a very analytical person by mm-hmm. nature, I mm-hmm. believe. And so even words like intuition, like is, I still need some tangibility to yeah. it. Uh-huh. And so when you said pattern, it just jumped right out to me that, the, the best definition that I've come across that I kind of abide by of intuition is advanced pattern recognition mm-hmm. and being able to see things, even subconsciously, that is going on around you because of putting yourself in position so many times and you just start to pick it up as an advanced pattern recognition. Well, it becomes, it, it becomes second nature, the ground ball. You know, and when a ground ball comes to you, you know, I'm... I'm standing there and I'm thinking, well, should I go this way or should I do that? You don't ever want to be in that position. Mm-hmm. If somebody threw a ball to me right now, because of what I did, you know, I there's certain reactions that are that things that are going to occur, you know, um, and and so I always wanted to be in a position where I was ready to make a play, whatever, and and, and we'll probably talk about this. That happened to me one day in San Diego on a Thursday afternoon. Yeah. On a, on a ground ball that went up the middle. And this was really the play that put me on the map. And it wasn't until the next day that I realized, I even realized what I did. Randy Jones is pitching. We're playing the Atlanta Braves. Jeff Burrow's up hitting. There's a ball hit up the middle, bullet. Boom, the ball's hit. I go, and any time I had to go left or right, 15, 20 feet, First thing that came to mind was dive. There was just an innate ability that I had, not something I practiced. But I dive. And on this particular play, when I dove, the ball was about here, and it hit, and it goes back this way. So now I'm parallel to the ground, and my body's going this way. And the only way for me to get it is to reach back, reach back with my bare hand as I'm going uh, as my glove hand is going this in this direction. So it took a strange hop. It hit the dirt and took a took a bad hop. And so for some reason, the ball stuck in my hand. I was able to scramble to my feet and throw the guy out at first Your base. Your bare hand, that's crazy. And it wasn't until the next day that I'm, I'm listening to the radio in the morning, because, you know, at that time I 
just being a rookie, I hadn't had my, got my place and my television and all that stuff. But I was listening to radio. And the guy says, you know what? I, yesterday I think I saw the greatest play I've ever seen. Mm. And I'm saying, well, you know, this guy's been around the game a long, a long time. And I've seen a lot of baseball because I grew up in Los Angeles going out to Dodger Stadium. I used to catch the bus out to Dodger Stadium to watch the Dodgers play. And, um, and stuff. so I've seen a lot of baseball. But when that statement was made, uh, you know, it really, really kind of resonated with me that, you know, I'd done something special. Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. I'm just, I'm in awe of it right now. Yeah. It's really powerful. So, you know, one of the things that you, and I just dove into your world the past oh, yeah. couple of weeks as well, is um, you were known, of course, for the phenomenal deep defense, but you deeply wanted to be a better offensive player as well. And mm -hmm. so making that transition from San Diego, I think it was Whitey Herzog who was mm -hmm. the manager. Right. So kind of instrumental in getting you over here. And you really wanted to improve offensively. So well, what was the catalyst? Let me for that? say this here. You know, our generation, unlike this generation, our goal was to be well rounded. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to be one dimensional players. No, the, the goal was to be as well-rounded as you could be. I, I wanted to be as good an offensive player as I was a defensive player. If you talk to Tony Gwynn, Tony Gwynn was a great hitter. But the one thing that Tony Gwynn wanted, he wanted to win a gold glove. Mm, yeah. And I was, I was the same way, you know, uh, Cal Ripken, same way. It was, it was the way we were, we were taught, the way we were brought up. You know, you, you, baseball is not a one-dimensional sport, which it has become. That's where the game has changed Guys are they're there now to hit the ball out of the ballpark, and they've lost the the, the finer points of the game. You know, uh, there, there's there's something special about being able to lay down a bun and beat it out, or the squeeze play, or just making the routine play. Simply making the right. routine play. You know, those things have gotten away. You know, one of the most exciting times for us used to be taking infield, and that was like warming up just before the game started. An outfielder like Dave Winfield going out and showing people, showing off his arm, mm. or Ellis Valentine, or Andre Dawson, you know, before a game started, you know, watching what these guys were really capable of doing or using it as an intimidating factor when the other team's sitting and watching, saying, man, if you run on me tonight, this is what you got coming to you. It, it's, it's that part of the game that is lost now, you know, because guys don't take infield anymore because all they want to do is hit. And that's what that's what's sad about the whole thing. But but you, you were asking about uh, the generation of how um, of of what made us want to be the best the, the best that we w that we could be. It, it was just the way we were brought up. All of us, the generation of us, and it was just we didn't know any different. We went out there every day working hard to be the very best that we could be defensively and the very best that we could be offensively. Now, for me, I always work with weights and stuff in the offseason, but being a small guy, never really understood. That wasn't nutrition. very popular then. No, it wasn't. Well. No, it wasn't. You know, because they, as a shortstop, you know, you wanted, you wanted to be flexible. You didn't want to be too tight. But I wanted to be stronger. And so in 1985, and I think this is where we were going. In 1985, I had a chance to meet a guy by the name of Mackie Shillstone, who took Michael Spinks from a light heavy to a heavyweight. And it was at that point that things kind of changed for me. 1985, my greatest accomplishment in the game today has been playing with a rotator cuff, a torn rotator cuff from 1985 to 1996. And I didn't get the rotator cuff worked on until... I had after I retired because it was starting to affect my golf game. <laughs> Talk about priorities. But um, Mackie, when I met Mackie, um, I told Mackie that what I wanted to, I wanted to prolong my career. I wanted to be able to play beyond 40, you know, because 40 was the number, you know, you can't play beyond 40. I'm saying, well, that ain't what I've been taught. You know, you can play as long as you want to play as as long as you're, you keep yourself in good shape and, and stuff. I said, 40, that's nothing. So um, we started working, and we started working on protecting the area around the rotator cuff, doing all of the, 
the armband exercises, the internal, external, the sword in, sword out. I know all of these exercises yeah. now because Early. it's, yeah, it's, it's those little muscles around the area. And, and I don't know if people, if you've ever had a rotator cuff tear or, or strain or whatever, that little muscle does so much for everything that you do in your life. Opening the car door, turning the radio dial, you name it. And so what I had to do is I had to work from below the shoulder. But what happens when you lose one instinct, another one takes over. So I was already pretty quick and accurate, and it just enhanced that even more. Mm -hmm. But from 85 to 96, I was still able to win gold gloves, not being able to get up on top. So I say to guys, it's easy to play when you're healthy. <laughs> it's yeah. it's easy to play when you're healthy. It's show me that guy who can go out there and still get it done when he's ailing every day. If you show me a player that goes to a coach and says, Coach, I'm 100%, I'm going to show you somebody who's not giving 100. Because if you're giving 100 every day, there's no way that you go out there and you don't have some type of ache of pain, be it your knee, your foot. Something's, something has to be aching you. So the guys that excel at it and, and, and become greats or that are out there every day, and I know that winning is much more than getting a big hit or making a great play. Winning is being able to help my team psychologically. Mm. My being there at 80%, sometimes for a team, is going to be better than somebody else at 100. Mm. Psychologically. And so I, I tell young people all the time that, you know, when you're one of the people that the team depends on, you got to show up, man. Yeah. You got to figure out a way to get it done. And just the intimidating factor sometimes when you can – when you can intimidate a team by saying that, well, I'm not going to hit it to you. When a guy would say to me, well, I ain't going to hit it to you today. I got him. <laughs> yeah. I got him. Before it even starts. Before it starts. And that's the, that's the type of edge that you're looking for. Yeah. Wow. This is super fascinating stuff. <laughs> and again, just want to reiterate, you won gold gloves after this injury, several of them. Yeah. And, you know, for folks wondering, like, why didn't he get some kind of surgery? This is at a time where surgery could potentially make the exactly end of your career. Right. I had, you know, you found a way, you figured I, it out. I had seen it, man. And um, I'd seen some of the scars of guys who had had rotator cuff surgery. And this was before they were really, uh, really good at... Um, uh, scoping and, and all of that stuff. So I, I was a little afraid of it. And I, I had, had a trainer in college that had worked with some pitchers, you know, with the, with the uh, um, surgical tubing and stuff. And I, so I knew about that. And I always wondered why they were using it. But then, you know, it, it became rather apparent that I was one of those people that had to use it as well. And it strengthens all those muscles around the area. I was able to do that. And uh, as time went on, um, you know, it just got to a point to where I knew that I wasn't going to be able to operate from up here. So everything was done down here. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I just made the adjustment. So what we're going to do, we're going to talk about another iconic moment with Ozzie Smith here. And I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. So sit tight. We're going to take a quick break. and We'll be right back. Don't sleep on sleep. Today, there is a big revolution happening to improve our sleep quality because we're understanding finally just how much our sleep quality impacts our physical performance, our brain function, and literally impacts our body composition. Sleep deprivation is something that can directly lead to increased fat gain and an inability to lose weight as well. With great sleep, we see an increased ability to burn fat, like the research that was done by the International Association for the Study of Obesity that found that our sleep quality, namely a sleep-related hormone called melatonin that everybody's heard of, increases your body's production of something called brown adipose tissue. This is a type of fat that actually burns fat. And the reason that it's brown versus the white adipose tissue is brown adipose tissue has a lot more mitochondria. And these are the energy power plants in our cells, very metabolically active tissue that we build more of when we get great sleep. Now, the issue today is getting that great sleep. And there's tons of lifestyle factors, but there's also a nutrition component. And there's a study that was published in the journal Pharmacology, Biochemistry, and Behavior that found that the renowned medicinal mushroom reishi was able to, number one, significantly decrease sleep latency. 
This means you fall asleep faster when you have Rishi. They also found that this increased overall sleep time for study participants. And they found that this increased the sleep efficiency by improving the non-REM deep sleep and improving our light REM sleep as well. This comprehensive approach to improving sleep, it's not pounding our sleep into submission, what we see with conventional drugs and things of that nature, where it's kind of like pseudo sleep. This is actually improving your sleep quality, your sleep efficiency by utilizing Rishi. Now, the only Rishi that I use is from Four Sigmatic because it's dual extracted, where they're doing an alcohol extract and a hot water extract. So they're actually extracting all of the nutrients from the mushroom that you think you're getting with Company X, all right? You're actually getting those compounds. With the hot water extract, you're getting the beta-glucan related compounds. And then with the alcohol extract, you're getting more of the hormonal compounds. And I think these are really important for sleep, like the terpenes and things in that category and so much more. So make sure to use foursigmatic.com forward slash model to get your hands on this and so much more. So that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model. You get 15% off their Rishi elixir and all of their medicinal mushroom elixirs, coffees, hot cocos, and so much more. I love Four Sigmatic. I literally have them every single day, one of their different products. Today I had my Lion's Mane coffee mix. So, so good. And it has all of these benefits as well. If you're still drinking standard coffee, what are you doing? You need to get these benefits from the Four Sigmatic coffee mixes. Now, head over and check them out ASAP because these are absolutely game-changing. The coffee mix, great for in the morning. Rishi, great for in the evening and winding down. And they've got all of this research to back it up. And this is what it's all about, is having more education so that we're executing on the things that really do work, that have a clinically proven benefit, and we can actually enjoy ourselves and have a good time along the way. And again, that's foursigmatic.com forward slash model for 15% off everything. And now back to the show. All right, we are back and we're talking with the legendary Hall of Fame shortstop, icon alert, Ozzy Smith here on the Model Health Show. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about adjustment. We were talking a little bit about showing up despite the circumstances. And also I'd asked Ozzy a little bit about him having the audacity to want to be great all-around player, not just defensively. And I think one of the most iconic moments in all of sports was 1985, National League Championship, Dodgers, ninth inning. You talk about what happened. That was a, and I think it was at that point that people started looking at me as much more than just a defensive player. It was at that point that they, they, they realized that, hey, I, I wasn't that one-dimensional player. Now, my defense, my defensive prowess was a thing that allowed me to get to the big leagues and stay at the big league. And that was the thing that they talked about. And it may, it's probably the thing that ultimately got me into the hall of fame. But th there were the other parts of the game were very, very important to me. You know, I stole 580 bases, I think. And, um, I had my share of triples and doubles and all of that. And all of that plays into the success of, of an organization. You know, somebody has to do the little stuff you know, to give the big guy the chance to do his thing. And we had a lot of teams like that here in the 80s where we weren't, we weren't big boppers. We were guys that had to do the fundamental things every day. And, and to this day, I, I tell people analytics and stuff are great and, and they run by, the games are run by analytics now, but I believe, always have and always will, that if I catch the ball better, I throw it better, I run better, hit more timely, I'm going to win more games. Yeah, no and that's the bottom line. That, yeah. that part of the game's never going to change. That's never going to change. So to be able to do those little things day in and day out are what I think that over the long haul is what makes great organizations. It's what has made the St. Louis Cardinals the organization that it has been for as long as it's been. And that's the thing that's eventually going to get it back. They're working hard to try and get back to those fundamental things because I think they, as an organization, got caught up in the way that other people start drafting. You know, you start drafting one-dimensional players. 
If you draft one-dimensional players, guess what you're going to get? A one-dimensional player. And so I think the goal as an organization, our goal has always been, we've always had guys who were well-rounded. We love that here and in the city. We, you love it here in the city. It's what made baseball so exciting here in the 80s because speed kills. You know, you got guys that uh, you think about baseball today, you probably have guys standing out there saying to themselves, please don't hit it to me. Well, when you got a guy standing out there saying, please don't hit it to me, you need to hit it to him. <laughs> right. But if you're striking out, you're not putting any pressure on him. And so it's okay to strike out 150 times a year. That's crazy. You don't put any pressure on the defense by striking out. So as we were taught when we were young, you get two strikes on you, you choke up on the bat, and you you put the ball in play. You know, I had a I, – I, I do a show here called uh, The Insider. And I was talking to a player one day, and um, I said, you know um, – you know, we talked about in spring training about choking up with two strikes on and putting it in place. He says, well, I don't really feel, you know, um, I, I, don't, I don't like choking up with two strikes on me because I still want to do damage. I go, well, you know, that, that's cool and everything. I said, but think about this. There was a guy who hit 73 home runs one year, and he was choked up on every pitch. So you can do damage without. Actually, it gives you more control. And so, Captain Logic, Logic, you know, it's just it, it just is it's just these sensible things that that get away from from the guys, and you have to kind of remind them that hey, you know, it's it's not about you. Something has to give. When you got two strikes on you, something has to give. I can't go up there thinking, well, I'm still going to take my big swing. That guy out there on the mound, he wants you to take the big swing because a guy with a big swing has more holes. He's going to have more trouble with a guy who's a contact hitter as opposed to a guy who's got the big swing. If I'm a pitcher and I can pitch to a scouting report and I can make the ball move a little bit, I'd love pitching to the guy with the big swing. Yeah. I just can't make a mistake. And that's life too. That's life. Just being able to have all those different places that you can hit the – because life is going to throw you some crazy pitches. You're going to get some crazy pitches. That's right. Wow. That's powerful. So um, I remember they flashed up on the screen – (laughs) <laughs> you, you're a switch hitter, yes, by the right. way. So mm-hmm. they flashed up. You're batting left for this, and they yeah. flashed up on the screen. I think it was like 3,000 at-bats. 2,000 at 2,900-some at-bats. At-bats without a home run from the left side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and, and keep in mind, Sean, here again, I wasn't trying to hit a home run. Now, in 85, as I told you, I started working with Mackie Shillstone. Yeah. And one of the things that Mackie Shillstone taught me as he teaches all people that he worked with he incorporates nutrition with weightlifting, which is one of the things that I had not done. And this is a thing that he taught me. And it's not, it wasn't just for sport. It was for life. It's things that I take with me now. And uh, he works with uh, Serena now. Um, but he's worked with a, a, a lot of the greats. And that was, that was the magic of, of, of him. If he walked in this room right now with five guys, you probably wouldn't even know who Mackie Shillstone is. But he was, he, he, he was very special in, in the things that he knew and the things that he understood about nutrition and weightlifting. And I give him credit for prolonging my career. I was able to play until I was 41. Probably could have played until I was 45 but uh, just wasn't given the opportunity. But it's, it's, it's those type of things that you got to seek out and those, those type of people out there that if you're interested in getting yourself better and being the best that you can be, then you got you to gotta work with the best. You got to find the best. Yeah. And uh, Mackie certainly is one of those people. Definitely. So if you could, just for one minute, take us back. You're, in, you're on the left side, side of the plate. Play, yeah. And tell us what happens. Well, the Dodgers had always... Pitch me hard, hard in, soft away. And you do that, you get the guy looking in, looking for something hard in, and then you throw a soft away to have to reach. It's, it's throwing off your timing. So in this particular at-bat, he had thrown two fastballs that I swung and fouled them straight back. And when you're sitting watching a ball game, when a guy's throwing fastballs and the guy's fouling them straight back, you better be careful. Because he's zoning, he's zoning in. You know, he has a pretty good idea of where, you know, where, where the ball is. 
And in this instance, he tried to get the ball in and he left it out over the plate. And unlike now, back in the day they said that you did not want to throw a left-hander down and in because all you have to do is really drop, drop the head. And as you see that pitch, pitch is down and in. He didn't get it up and in. <clears throat> he got it down and in. So now because I had gotten a little bit stronger, um, I was driving the ball a little bit more. I was, I'd learned how to pull the ball down, down the line or hit the ball in the gap. It really was just I supplied the technique and he supplied the power. Hmm. And magic happened, and it just so happened that Jack Buck was on the call. Smith corks one down the line, could go, could go. Go crazy, folks, go crazy. The Cardinals have won the game by the score of 3-2 to on a home run by the Wizard. Hmm. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. And, and I've heard that so much. It's, it's as if I've hit 500 home runs, man. <laughs> but I was just, yeah. I was right place, right time. There's certain things that are just meant to be manifest destiny, I guess they, you'd call it. Um, when I got up that morning, I had no idea that the day would end the way it ended. Um, it wasn't my goal. My goal was to do whatever I had to do to help my team win that day. And it just so happened that that particular day, um, the opportunity presented itself, and I was ready for it. Yes. And then, fast forward, we go to Dodger Stadium for game six. Lo and behold, Neat and Fuhrer's on the mound again. I come within inches of hitting another home run on Dodger Stadium. Mm. Off the same guy, you know. So um, that was it. Was magical. Um, it was at that point that people started looking at me as much more than just a defensive player, and I think I had accomplished my goal. Definitely, definitely. Wow, such a great story. And, you know, just me growing up in St. Louis, and, you know, that's how I saw you, you mm -hmm. know, as an all-around player. Just like I was excited when you were at bat. I was excited when you were on defense. And that's the that's what you were instilling. And we created and yeah, yeah. We create excitement when we were on the bases, you know. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, I, I think for people that grew up in the 80s and watched what we did, it was it was such a magical time. And we were doing it, so we didn't really realize the impact that we were having. I guess we did understand the impact, but we were just doing our job and creating that excitement for people that came out to watch us play. And as we sit down and talk about it now, you know, we, we look at baseball today and, and baseball the way it was, and just two different worlds. Yeah. You know, if anybody has a lack of knowledge, I'm pretty sure most people listening to the episode or watching us on YouTube or wherever you're watching this know about the Wizard of Oz. And But for those folks who, who might not know, when you retired, you know, that final season, they were having celebrations for you at opponent stadiums yeah. all across the country. It's the most beautiful thing. And is that an acknowledgement of greatness. Sean, I, I tell you, not many guys get to, to take what they call a tour. Not many players get to do that. And, and to have been one of those players that they got a chance to tour. And, you know, there are some guys that play 20, 25 years. They don't get the tour. You know, I was able to play 19 years, and I was able to to get the tour and have go around and have people show their appreciation. I was one of the only guys, my last All-Star game in 1996, you know, they talk about the fans and stuff in Philadelphia. They'd boo Santa Claus, you know, they'd boo <laughs> their mother. But those people were very, very gracious to me and um, I always got uh, ovations in, in most of the places that I played because what I tried to do was have fun with the fans. And the way that you the way that you develop a relationship with fans is you do your job. Mm. If you do your job every day, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, they appreciate yeah. people doing what it is they do. That's why people don't like the Yankees because they do their job. Because <laughs> they, because yeah, they, you know, they disrespect man. That's really what it boils down to. And uh, I've always wanted to be respected for what I bring every day. I wasn't the greatest. I wasn't the fastest, but I worked hard, and I gave. I I I think I gave people their money's worth, whether they were for the Cardinals or for the Atlanta Braves or whoever. Um, I always have people now, and I guess it's the compliment. 
it's a compliment now that when they come up to me and they say, you know what, I enjoyed the way you played the game. Yeah. And that, uh, that's the ultimate. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, one other thing I want to ask you about, uh, during your career, um, you also won the Roberto Clemente Award for the player who best exemplifies the game of baseball, sportsmanship, community involvement, and giving back. Can you talk about, for yourself personally, what motivated you to get involved with the community? You share some things that you're doing even now with me before the show. Yeah, well, here again, I think all of us, when we think about um, community and stuff, man, I want to be able to go out in the evening and walk with the family. You know, have be able to walk without having to worry about whether or not, you know, it's going to be a shooting or all of this stuff that we have to deal with now, you know. Um, I want to be proud of the, the community in which I live. And if I'm going to be proud of the community in which I live, then I've got to, I got to get my hands dirty and trying to help make it the best place that it can be. Coming here in 1982 changed my life, my family's life, uh, because it gave me the opportunity to raise my family here. People they had, uh, they welcomed us with open arms. It's just been a, a great community to be a part of. And so if it's going to, continue to be that, then I've got to, in, I've got to invest in it. And so I've, I've always believed that it's not just about saying, it's about doing. Yeah. You got to do something that's going to make it better. And so I'm the president of the Gateway Chapter of the PGA here. When I was growing up in Southern California, I was never exposed to the game of golf or the business of golf. So it's taking my celebrity and moving it into the private sector and bringing about awareness on certain causes and things, I think that that's very important. That's how you stay relevant. You know, you you lend your name to certain causes. I can't do everything, but for the 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 things that I can, you know, I can lend my name to uh, certain causes. And um, I'm the president of the Gateway Chapter of the PGA here, where by we're in the process of building a nine hole multi recreational golf facility in the inner city. Um, by which we can introduce kids to the game of golf, the business of golf. Um, we're even talking about culinary, all of this being under one roof yeah. and stuff, and give kids some something other than worrying about, you know, whether or not I can go down to the playground and play yeah. because of all the craziness that's, that's going on. So um, that's my spiel, man, and, uh, you know, I know that I've got to, you know, I, there's some, if I if I wanted to be better, I got to do something. Yeah, man, that's powerful. That's powerful. You know, um, I grew up in some pretty negative conditions. You know, here mm -hmm. in the city, and just being able to have an outlet, have inspiration, that proximity matters a lot. You yes. know, and I, of course, you know, there's recreation centers, various mm -hmm. places, and they've always been kind of like a positive input. And so, um, having the audacity to do that to to get your hands dirty, like you said, and to um, to give back that way, it really means a lot. Yeah, giving back is the greatest asset in, in the world. You know, you can have all the trophies and all that stuff on the mantle, but the ability to give back is the greatest asset you can have. Yeah. Ozzy, I've got one more question for you, and this has just been phenomenal. You know, just uh, enjoy your, your presence. Uh, the stories are incredible <laughs> in and of themselves, but also the the thought process behind a lot of this and for you to share that with everybody and then getting to hear the the psychology of somebody who's achieved so much is is really powerful so thank you for that final question is what is the model that you're here to set for other people with the way you live your life personally well you know uh i think we've we've kind of touched on it you know in life it's all about trying to do the right thing I think if, if you're trying to do the right thing, things usually turn out pretty well. You know, I want people to look at me and say, hey, you know what? That was a good dude. Yeah. That dude was good, man. That dude had a good heart. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I, you know, I'm not a perfect person. But I've always tried to do the right things. I've always tried to make people feel apart. Um, I don't know of, I've never intentionally hurt anybody. 
Uh, and I'm sure that they will probably find somebody say, well, you know, I stood there for an hour and I didn't get an autograph. Well, you know, <laughs> there's only so many hours in a day and I, I try and sign as many autographs and stuff as I can. You know, what, what's happened over the last few years is these pictures, you know, taking a lot of pictures, you know. So a lot of times when I can't sign an autograph, I say, if you, if you take your camera out, we can take a picture, you know. But I just want people to, to know that uh, or say that that was a good guy who had a good heart, who was very giving, and um, I like him. Perfect. Ozzy Smith, everybody, thank you so much. Listen, I'm telling you right now, um, it's so important to be around people who uplift you. And it's so important to be around uh, individuals who give you a perspective that's greater than where you are right now. And for me growing up as a kid here in St. Louis, I had very few heroes. All right. One of them was Michael Jackson. All right. You know it, you know it. That was Ozzy. That wasn't me. All right. So that was one. And I remember going to school with that jacket. You know, I had the thriller jacket. I got drove, but I, but I represented. And the other person uh, here in our city and having that example was Ozzy Smith for sure. And so it's a great pleasure to have him on the show today. And so many great takeaways. One of them, when he talked about not always going for the big swing, but, you know, to choke up, having that small, consistent swing at life. That's really what creates greatness. It's not the big swings. Every now and then you do take your big swing, but that's not what's going to create greatness. That's going to take create momentary examples or experiences, but it won't result in greatness. And re you really up-leveling your life to the place that you deserve to be, small, consistent swings. Just keep batting away. Also, have the audacity and the approach to making your life better than it was yesterday. All right. So he talked about making this year better than last year, all right? You can even approach it from that. And I think that's even more valuable for a lot of people because in the short term of a year, we're gonna make mistakes. Things are gonna go bad, stuff's gonna happen. So just looking at it like, am I better this year than last year, right? And continuing to make that your modus operandi as you continue to move forward. And for me personally, I do it day by day. Each day, I just wanna get 1% better, whether it's with my health, whether it's in my relationship, whether it's in my knowledge base, just striving to wake up, gonna get a little bit better today. And when I lay my head down at night, I feel successful. Again, so many other things, but I think that w when he talked about this and he said this several times, being ready, right? The window of opportunity is gonna open at some point and just being ready for that opportunity. You gotta stay ready, all right? That's what this training is about. That's what absorbing information like this in this podcast is about. That's what reading the books, that's what you, you working on your craft, that's what you working on your relationships, whatever it might be, you're staying ready for when the window opens because it will open and you wanna be ready for that. So I hope that this encourages you to, to continue to stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And I appreciate you so much for tuning into the show today. Make sure to share this out with your friends and family on social media, Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, all that good stuff. And we'll link up anything with Ozzy. Ozzy, are you on any social media? Well, a little bit. <laughs> not much. I'm not a real big social uh, media guy. But uh, Twitter, you can go to OzzySmith.com. Okay. And, uh, Twitter, I don't, I don't tweet. To tweet, tweet. A, a <laughs> he's like the language yeah well we're gonna link uh, him up and you can tag him in this episode let him know what you thought about the show so we'll put all the links to uh connect with ozzy online for the little bit that he is online because he's not like my son with the tablet ordering stuff ordering <laughs> toys from Amazon, all right uh so again thank you so much for tuning into the show today i appreciate you immensely we've got some incredible show topics and more incredible guests coming up but none greater than today with the wizard of oz Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes, you can find transcriptions, videos for each episode, and if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome, and I appreciate that so much. And take care, I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.